All right, welcome back to the Go Dig a Hole podcast. We're trying something new, a little experiment, uh, and I'm going to try and open up some episodes with PSAs, shout-outs for jobs, field schools, and internships and other opportunities. So here we are with the first shout-out for an internship, and I've got Michael Ashley, uh, the president and founder of Codify, and my my business partner there uh, on with me. And uh, we're here to announce the first ever internship with Codify. And it's a paperless archeology span internship. And it's a really unique opportunity. And we've taken a lot of time and, and energy to put this thing together. So Michael, you wanna explain a little bit about uh, the internship? Yeah, um, so exactly as Chris said, um, we are thinking of this pretty much as a kind of a PSA. Um, so um, we, we're in a position of growth that we, we want to be able to hire people, but we're also trying to be in service to our, the discipline that we love, which is archaeology, obviously. And we're also trying to lead um, kind of the revolution around paperless. So we, we put our heads together and we thought through that um, what, we, what we know is missing right now in our discipline is, is a you know, real solid a kind of understanding of, you know, soup to nuts, how to do paperless, right? And that's what we, we get asked for all the time. So again, instead of just uh, trying to hire somebody to, to become the next, you know, codify person, uh, we thought we'd put it something together as a as a shorter term, very immersive internship, but, but make it a paid internship at the same prevailing wage you would get if you were to do CRM in the Bay Area. Which is very, very rare. Uh, one to have a, a paid internship in archaeology uh, is is a really unique opportunity. But also to have on the job training before you're really in a job. So this this isn't a CRM company. You're you're not like working for a CRM company. You're coming in as an intern to learn about paperless archaeology. And that has several applications. So at, at the end of the internship, uh, there's a really kind of choose your own adventure. There's, there's a lot of different ways you can go with that. And, you know, one of the ways you can go with it is of course, CRM archeology. span There's uh, several firms out there using codify, using paperless methods, um, in other applications. Um, but there's also plenty of uses for codify in academic settings as, as you know, we have many clients around there, um, but what are some of the things that uh, the paperless archaeology intern could expect to do in a day in the life of of this internship? Yeah, so it's pretty exciting. So, um, so w this the the person, and and again, at this point, we're really going to be only offering one slot for now. Uh, we'll be doing all sorts of stuff. And to be clear, this is, I mean, when you're uh, when you're a for-profit, in our case, a, a social benefit corporation, but still for-profit. Um, this is not an internship where you're going to be making coffee for anybody. In fact, I will probably be making the coffee for you because you're yeah, gonna... I, don't, I don't trust you to make my coffee. <laughs> Someone will be making your coffee. Uh, yeah, that, no, that's right. Chris and I don't trust you to make our coffee because we're very particular about, it, about that. We trust each other. Um, so basically, um, you're going to be learning um, in depth how to do digital preservation level, uh, preservation grade um, data forensics, uh, production, and everything in between. So it's, that, was a, that was a thread I really want to point out. You're going to be becoming immersed with our Codify methodology. Um, I'm sure you're going to be learning about the Codify application, which is great. But it, this isn't just about Codify as becoming, you know, a Codify software engineer or, or salesperson. This is totally about paperless archaeology. So that's what we're all about. Um, you're going to be uh, helping with user experience um, uh, testing with uh, CRM firms that we've partnered with. Um, we're hoping that you'll be really excited to to learn and, and help us translate various um, OHP uh, forms and processes with the various partnerships we already have with agencies in California, Utah, and Nevada, and other states. Um, we're we're going to you know so lots of stuff. So again, it'll be it'll be very immersive working on real world projects. There will be field opportunities, so opportunities to go out and do actual field work. Um, 
so yeah, whole lot of stuff. And beyond field work, there's also opportunities to represent Codify and join our, our staff at uh, various events, conferences included. We we have you know several conference appearances uh, planned during the duration of this internship. And the, the internship runs from January 22nd to, what was it, April 22nd? April, April 2nd. April 2nd of uh, 2019. Um, so the clock's ticking. You got to move very quickly uh, to get in on this. Um, and so, Michael, where can you find information on the, the internship beyond listening to this podcast? So you go to codify.com slash opportunities. And uh, we're going to be posting every all of our opportunities and you know, future job postings there, et cetera, there. Um, it's going to be a two-phase process. So codify.com, C-O-D-I-F-I.com slash opportunities. Two-phase process. Uh, basically, you submit um, a very short questionnaire now. Uh, then there'll be a secondary review process. Uh, and if you're one of the chosen people for that, then that's what we'll ask for your, your, your CV uh, and some references. Um, to remind, again, the timing, January 22nd, uh, through April 2nd, it is a Bay area, um, opportunity. So you'll have to be physically able to be in the Bay area during that time and be able to make it to the Northern, uh, to our Santa Fe office. Awesome. Uh, this is the kind of thing that this opportunity, if it had come up when I was, you know, early in my career in CRM, I probably would have tried to find someone's couch in Bay Area to sleep on and just moved from Kentucky to come do this. Um, Even though it's a a three-month-long internship, it's the kind of thing that will set you up with the skills, knowledge, and experience, um, and also just a real inside look on, on how this kind of work is done. But it'll set you up to, to really ad- advance your career in pretty short order. So uh, it, we're, we're excited to be able to offer it. Uh, we're, we're excited to you know help people out, help the discipline out, and um, you know get people out there using state-of-the-art equipment and methods. So beyond pay and good experience, what are some of the perks of this internship, Michael? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that. Uh, if you're, for example, if you're in school, if you're um, right now, you know, this is kind of the lull between uh, uh, quarters and semesters right now out of the kind of new year. Uh, but if you're in school, uh, we are happy to work with, um, with your university to help you get some real world credits, which is usually a pretty tough thing to do. Um, we have a lot of experience to forget, you know, was working at center for digital archeology span for a long time at Cal before that. So we can, we can help do that. You're going to be under a formal learning contract, uh, which is really great. We'll be working with you on your own career outcomes and what you're interested in doing and learning, um, which is really great. And if you're, um, impacted by the shutdown, ladies and gentlemen, right now we're sitting here on day, what, 12, 14, 18, I can't remember anymore of the federal shutdown. Um, or you're working um, and and you and and or not working or you're underemployed, um, you're pretty much the perfect person for this internship. We're looking for people actually that have great archaeological skills. If you don't have those, we understand. But if you do, uh, you're even a better candidate for this. And everyone will um, get a certificate of completion uh, from this. We'll be working actively with um, RPA and ACRA and SAA and others to start as we've been doing to kind of dovetail that into their certification and credit programs as well so this has been a long time coming and we're really excited about um about leveling up the playing field for all of us yeah super cool so again uh to apply for that uh internship program it's the paperless archaeology internship program go to codify.com opportunities and there's a form there uh and there's a lot more information about the position itself. So uh, we're looking forward to hearing from you. Uh, thanks, Michael. My pleasure. As a quick editorial note, the following discussions are couched in binary gendered terms, and that's because they respond to a specific blog post and the experiences of the guests. 
The Go Dig a Hole podcast strives to build a more inclusive archaeology, and trans and non-binary visibility and equality is important to us. So stay tuned for more discussions on non-binary issues in archaeology in future episodes. This episode originally aired around June 2017, so the info is not current. Go support some other great independent, listener-supported podcasts that bring unique, important, and engaging programs to the public. Women in Archaeology. Yes, they're independent, so update your podcast feeds and make sure you're subscribed to the correct one. Archie Fantasies. The Mythbusters of Archaeology have gone indie. And as always, curiosity and focus. If you're curious about anything, this podcast is for you. Listen for more episodes from the archives as I work my way back in time until all 29 of the back catalog shows are back out there. Hello and welcome to the Go Dig a Hole podcast, episode 23. I'm your host, Chris Sims, and today uh, we're going to have a unconventional episode. I'm going to start off with a special guest, uh, Penelope Foreman, and uh, we're coordinating via Skype. And then later on this week, I'll be going up to Vancouver for the Society for American Archaeology Conference, and I'll be getting some responses to I'll be getting some responses to our discussion with Penelope uh, from some other folks at the conference later this week so it's going to be a little fragmented but uh, bear with me because I think it'll be pretty interesting okay so we've got uh, Penny Foreman on the line and uh, Penny thank you so much for uh, joining the show today how's it going yeah, good. Thank you. It's actually a sunny day for once over here in the UK, so nice for us. Nice. Uh, I'm likewise enjoying a sunny day in Portland, Oregon, which uh, for this time of year is quite rare. <laughs> so let's talk about uh, let's talk a little bit about you. Um, give us a, a brief background on uh, where you are and what you're up to. Okay. Well, um, I'm currently in the second year of my PhD. I uh, look at Neolithic monuments in Northern Europe. I'm at Bournemouth University. Um, I took sort of a little bit of a brief break from academia. I was a teacher, primary school teacher for several years and just getting back into it. So, yep, that's me. Very cool. So we've got you on the show today because we had a really great uh, Twitter conversation um, a few days ago. And mm-hmm. I think it's really important that the topics we were dealing with, but all of this was um in response to a blog post that you recently wrote, and you've got a wonderful blog, Suspicious Mounds. Uh, <laughs> I started reading through some of your back posts after that and really enjoyed that. Um, oh, but the, the post is called Women in Digital Archaeology Redo, The mm-hmm. Girl with the Space Unicorn Tattoo. That's and right. <laughs> it's a great post, but there's, there's a... There's a couple quotes uh, from that that I'd like to just read out. Uh, one is, mm-hmm. I have hopes that the CAA code of conduct at the moment in its infancy will encode and firm written clauses, the rights and responsibilities of all conference goers and by extension, all practitioners of digital archaeology. When it comes to issues around overt and covert sexual harassment, unacceptable behavior, and precisely what will happen to those that don't follow the rules. And I think that's super important, but in the post you uh, talk about how you had picked up a fabulous dress that was covered in in space unicorns that in and of itself was, you know, it's just a a fun and totally harmless thing. And, Mm. and then you, you later picked up a unicorn bracelet and I think that was the straw that broke the camel's back and some people were quite upset by, (laughs) by all of that. And so Mm. you closed the blog post with uh, a really strong message that says, that's my feminist agenda to be the woman I am and not be ashamed of it. And, uh, I think that's a, that is a a wonderful message. So let's, let's talk about who gets to police others conference attire and why, because this is definitely a recurring issue in archeology, span especially at at conferences. There seem to be some very strong opinions about who gets to wear what and why. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've been having quite a lot of conversations following on from this quite understandably. and, And a lot of people have said like, you know, archeology conferences, they're quite, 
even big ones like CA or SA, they're quite casual places. You know, people turn up and they give talks and they're in, you know, their jeans and a smart T-shirt. And, yeah. you know, it's it's not a place where you're really quite heavily picked up on it unless you get to something like this where suddenly something tiny will suddenly break somebody's mind and they go, hang on, what you're doing is 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 not the right thing to do. And that I find that quite a strange disconnect because, you know, they're not places like other conferences. Somebody I know is in forensic science says that a lot of their conferences are very formal and everybody turns up in suits and like as if they're going for an interview. And it's a very sort of different world almost. And I find it strange that very suddenly one tiny thing <laughs> meant that apparently I wasn't appropriate. And I, I felt quite, quite alarmed by that, really. Yeah, that is really odd. And uh, in our, our conversation on Twitter following your post, uh, John Lowe, he is on Twitter as at Archeocore. Uh, he had tweeted, I thought a lot about this topic, aware of my privilege to dress casual, fun, funky, uh, hip, casual dress, show tattoos, in other words, be myself. Yeah. And, you know, he's that's just him uh, announcing that he's a- aware of the privilege. And I think that goes back mm-hmm. to what you had said that about the disconnect, because I think that there that highlights a double standard in that, you know, men seem to be free to take uh, extreme liberties with how casual their, their dress is often showing up mm-hmm. in their field gear. You know, I can't tell you how yeah. many conferences, even the big ones like SAA, where you'll see men wearing what they would wear in the field. And it might mm-hmm. not be as, as dirty as it is in the field, but it's certainly, <laughs> you know, worn out and stained from a lot of use and stuff yeah. like that. So, well, I think that that, that's quite contrasting. So I think a lot of women will angst about what they wear. They'll be think they'll think, "Am I looking professional enough? Am I looking appropriate? Mm-hmm. Will this what I'm wearing lead to me being harassed for one reason or another?" You know. So I think that we jump through a lot of mental hoops thinking about it, whereas probably a lot of guys just go as they are, you know, and don't worry about it. And great for them for being able to do that. But I think we'd like to be able to feel the same way, really. Yeah, exactly. And I I think that that's a symptom of a lot of pressures that women feel professionally in Mm -hmm. that their seriousness or their commitment to the field is constantly under scrutiny. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, what were some of the other responses you got to, you know, on on Twitter and, and to your blog post? Did you have like some constructive, uh, you know, or like productive conversations that, you know, talked about, you know, this problem and and how to address it? Well, the response was overwhelmingly positive and I was, I was quite humbled by it because I, at first I wasn't going to say anything and and I just got to the stage in my head and I thought, no, it's time to give up not saying anything. I am going (laughs) to write about it. Um, and I got so many responses from, from mostly from women saying, oh, you know, thank you for saying this. And, you know, it's great that you've, drawn a line in the sand basically about it and I have had a lot of conversations since about people coming up to me and saying yeah I've had this inappropriate comment or yes I've been told not to wear this at a certain site because somebody will disapprove and yeah it's brought it home for me that a lot of women have this not just at conferences but day to day in the field or in the lab anywhere where they're working in some kind of professional situation somebody has come to them and said x or y is not appropriate and it's really sort of just highlighted for me how much it goes on and it's quite it's quite depressing and sobering thought, really. Yeah, it really is. And I uh, I wasn't even thinking about in the field just because that seemed to be a, a whole different can of worms. But you're mm-hmm. absolutely right uh, because <laughs> you know it, it's such a task specific uh, thing, you know. And, and like yeah. at the end, just just wear something that is comfortable and safe exactly. and gets the job done. Uh, but there are you know like like you had said like it breaks some people's brains when they. You know, think about appropriate attire in uh, the field or in conferences. Well, uh, how about your survey that you presented? Because I think that that has a lot of overlap in terms of uh, negative negative experiences and harassment and, and other elements. Um, and so the, the survey that you presented is called Experiences of Archaeologists in Programming, Computing and Other Digital Communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I wanted to do a presentation this day looking at how people experience sort of like online and offline communities in things like computing and programming, because I want to see what effect that knock-on effect that had on digital archaeology. Mm-hmm. Um, I, mean, I admit that I particularly wanted to look at the experience of women, but I didn't gender my survey. I wanted everybody to fill it in so I could contrast the results. And the results were definitely interesting. There was so much uh, information we'd had 
initially lots of like little drip feed things like this policing of a behaviour, little microaggressions like that, all the way up to other sexual harassment. It was quite a broad spectrum, whereas a lot of men would respond saying, well, I've had a negative effect because um, the conference wasn't specialist enough. So there was a sort of gap there in why officers and, other, and online treatment for people. I found it very interesting. That is interesting. So as far as the outcomes of this, um, you know, you had mentioned that you um, you proposed to the CAA a, uh, a code of conduct. Um, how was that received? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was one of the only aims of the session that I was speaking at at CAA was that we had to come up with some kind of productive or positive outcome for our research, even if the research like mine came out as and something that was a bit sobering. Yeah. Um, my outcome was that I'd like to see something like a code of conduct in place so that yeah, so that people like the women I've spoken to had been harassed at conferences, knew exactly what their steps were to take, who they could go to, what they could expect to happen. And so that even if you just tick through it and say, yes, I agree with this code of conduct, you've got something that you're held up against. You know, there's a set set of actions that will happen if you behave inappropriately or if you behave in a way that others are uncomfortable, just so that it's something to fall back upon that's formalised and that's there. Because a lot of women said, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to expect. I froze up and I left. And it's that sort of removing themselves from a conversation and sort of policing themselves where they can go and what they can do that I would found the most disappointing thing. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's great that a formalised code of conduct is coming out of this because, as as you said, it, it, it formalizes mm-hmm. the response to this, and I'm sure that that goes a long way to um, yeah. helping, you know, reduce incidents like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if the big like science fiction convention like comic books can do it, we can do it well. You know. So. Yeah. Have there been other um, venues like conferences or um, even like uh, research projects where uh, similar actions, like similar codes of conduct, have been developed and enacted? Um, I know that one is in the works for SCA, but it was quite contentious last year that it wasn't as thorough as people were. So I know that that is still in consultation, that is still in the works. Um, Other than that, I know that as a whole, digital archaeology and archaeology is not really up there for doing this kind of thing, which I think will be of benefit for a lot more sort of organisations and conferences. All of them are being what what it is basically yeah definitely and i feel like it would fit right in line with the um you know professional societies when you join those there's a code of ethics that you have to adhere to Mm -hmm. and i i think that it should fit right in line with you know the professional standards of protecting cultural resources is you know it's just seems like a natural extension to be a professional in in regard to, you know, like not harassing your colleagues and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's obviously, there is an American version. We have a CIFA over in the UK, and I believe they do have some kind of code of conduct ethics like this. I haven't looked into it at the moment. But it would be great for sort of all ones that have an organization, like that you have to join, say, EAA to join their conference. It would be great if all of them had a very visible thing like this code of ethics or a code of conduct that you've to agree to to be part of the organization and therefore to take part in the things that they do. Yeah, definitely. Well, are there any other things that you'd like to talk about uh, regarding your survey or um, the the response to your blog? Um, the response to my blog was really positive and I'm so happy for that. But I don't, I don't like to say something that a lot of women said to me, oh, I'm glad you said this. I wouldn't have wanted to speak out, which is the the most striking thing for me because when I wrote it I was worried I said what's going to repercussions of this what's going to happen if I do talk about this even though I was very careful not to directly quote or mention any names or anything yeah and I think it's that fear of repercussion for just telling the truth and just for saying this is my experience that is quite alarming for female academics I mean I'm early career as well which has made me worry about what's going to come of this but a lot of women have said I wouldn't have spoken out about, about that because I don't want to you know hamper my career down the line and I think that a lot of women are afraid of challenging behaviour because it's so ingrained and it case that most of our seniors are men so we're quite afraid of stepping out of that line and stepping out of our traditional roles I think that we're worried about sort of being seen to be outspoken because that's often seen as a negative thing for a woman in academia yeah definitely there's there's a lot of uh 
kind of like you said, I, I like the way you phrased um, the overt and covert harassment, but I think that that extends also to there's there's like overt and covert expectations and pressures that are placed on women in academia. Um, and so it's I think that things like this go a long way to leveling the playing field for women in academia. Oh, thank you. That's really great to hear. And I really hope that even if it just encourages one person to stand up and say, no, what you're doing is not right, then uh, we're really happy because that'd be one person that doesn't put up with this crap any longer, quite frankly. So yeah, I just, I really hope it shows people that they can have a voice and that it can lead to positive things. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for joining the podcast and I'll be at the SAA later this week. And I know that there were a few people on Twitter uh, who had said that they wanted to meet up and talk about it in person. So I'm hoping to continue this conversation with some other folks and it'll be, it'll be interesting to see uh, their takes on it too. Mm, Definitely. Well, thank you for having me. Well, thank you again, Penny. And uh, thanks so much. Yeah. Talk to you soon. So this was at the CAA computer applications in archeology span in where in in Britain? Uh, It was in Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, in Atlanta, Georgia. Two weeks ago. Yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable, right? So uh, I'll just give like a brief introduction for the listeners. We're at the 82nd annual uh, meeting for the Society for American Archaeology in Vancouver, British Columbia. And here at the, the exhibition hall, I'm joined by uh, Ruth Tringham and Chelsea Slotten, Kirsten Lopez, and Stephen Wagner. You might recognize... Chelsea and Kirsten from the Women in Archaeology podcast and Stephen from the CRM Archaeology podcast. And Ruth... Has not yet done her podcast. Yeah. Ruth hasn't <laughs> been on the podcast yet, but you're you're I'm very involved be... in CODA. Yes, right? in so Let's just go around and give like a, a brief introduction of everybody. So Ruth, let's start with you. What's your what's your background? Where are you? What are you working on? Um, well, I'm... I was at UC Berkeley in the anthropology department as an archaeologist. I'm still there partially. I'm retired from actual teaching and administration, but I still um, advise graduate students and do research. So um, I've been an archaeologist who sort of came late compared to Meg Conkey to feminist practice of archaeology, but have been fully embracing it since the early 1990s. And along with that, the whole digital technology is used in teaching and research in archaeology. And now, um, since my retirement, I'm, I'm uh, very heavily involved in the Center for Digital Archaeology, CODA, um, which at the moment is focusing on training, um, but also does other things. And um, also I'm heavily involved with Codify, which is a for-profit um, a company that also is very has very similar aims to COVID. Yeah, so not much of a retirement for you. I call it a permanent sabbatical, <laughs> <laughs> which should be self-explanatory. <laughs> yeah. And Chelsea, how about you? Um, yeah, so my name is Chelsea Slotten. As Chris says, I am one of the co-hosts on the Women in Archaeology podcast, so some of you may recognize my voice. I am a current PhD student at American University. Most of my work focuses in um, bioarchaeology um, of various different <laughs> times and spaces. And I'm definitely on the feminist archaeology, gender archaeology train. <laughs> and you've studied uh, gender in Viking sites, correct? Um, I've done some work with Vikings. I have done work in post-medieval, early modern England, and some rural and, and urban populations. Um, yeah, just kind of bounce around. Nice. nice. And Kirsten, how about you? I am also one of the hosts, co-hosts on Women in Archaeology. I have been um, a student for a very short period of time in the graduate department for the Oregon State University. Um, I am working with um, some basketry stuff um, to not go into too detailed, um, but I've been working for uh, various CRM firms in the Northwest for the last five or six years or so and um, have been really um, 
excited about getting more politically involved um, with archaeology as my previous careers I have been. So um, doing the public outreach is kind of a passion of mine that is, you know, and for better or worse, not related to my thesis work. So I get extra work. (laughs) um, Yeah, that's about it. Nice. And Stephen, too. Stephen, you're on the CRM Archaeology Podcast, and you live in Calgary. And uh, what else are you going to do? Something else. I, I don't know. Uh, I do this. Uh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a professional archaeologist. I do a, I'm from Boulder in, uh, in Alberta, and I do a CRM Archaeology. And prior to being in Alberta, you were doing CRM in the States for quite a while, right? Yeah, in uh, the upper Midwest, so um, mostly in Wisconsin. Nice, nice. So we're all here today to respond to some discussions that were going on on Twitter and on, uh, on a blog post in response to Penny Foreman's blog post where she recounted the experience she had at the CAA conference in Atlanta, Georgia. And so the the topic that we're, we're all talking about is who gets to police women's bodies, why, what is appropriate conference attire. Uh, and so Chelsea and I have sat down, uh, I think it was yesterday, to record uh, just her segment as, as a standalone segment. And I like the total dingus that I am uh, let the SD card fill up so we'll, we'll have to unfortunately recount some of this but Chelsea you, you had some good points when, when we were going over that over some like suggestions and guidelines for professionalism like presenting yourself as a professional so I think that might be a, a good starting point for us because I, I think Stephen you have a similar entry point for expectations for men yeah, so a lot of the, the comments that I made yesterday were not geared at anyone of a particular gender, um, but <laughs> professionalism is important. We are at, a, at conferences, and it is a professional event, and we should look like it, and that means that you shouldn't be wearing what you're wearing in the fields unless you're you know wearing slacks and a button-down in the field, which would surprise me. Um, <laughs> But, you know, like holy jeans or pants that have seven different stains of I don't even want to know what on them. Um, you know, holy t-shirts, haven't showered in a week. I mean, we've all been there. That's, that's not professional dress. Um, we are a little bit more casual than most work environments. So I think that, you know, like a nice pair of jeans is okay. Slacks are okay if you want to wear a dress or, you know, like a skirt or a suit. All of that is great. Um, but, like, clean up, put put some effort into it. The, the one somewhat gendered uh, thing that I have to say is that if you, like many women, myself included, really love heels, I really love heels, <laughs> um, and you want to wear them, that's perfectly fine. Um, and if you're a dude who wants to wear heels, have at it. I'm all for that, too. But oftentimes, conferences can last 8, 10, 12 hours, and you're not guaranteed that there's going to be a seat in every session. I personally know I don't want to wear heels for 8, 10, 12 hours if I'm going to have to stand for all of that. So you should probably bring a pair of more comfortable shoes in case your feet start hurting. Yeah. <laughs> I'd probably agree. Um, I remember hearing, so my first essay was in Honolulu, which was, I think, 2012. And I found it somewhat entertaining having grown up on the West Coast, hearing, uh, overhearing some remarks by European archaeologists about some of the people walking around in flip-flops because it was Hawaii. And they were like, this is... It's a professional conference. And then they were like, well, you know, it is Hawaii. I guess it's sort of allowed or whatnot. (laughs) So, um, and some of that brings up a little bit of the cultural diversity when it comes to professional dress. I know in the West, um, you often get uh, button down and jeans and cowboy boots is pretty standard, um, which is not something that would normally be acceptable in like DC um, for a professional, uh, 
happening of any sort. So there is, and I've encountered professors that feel strongly about a sweater vest and or tie for uh, men's apparel as teachers uh, or professors, whereas, again, similar sort of standards, it's not common at all um, on the West Coast for professors to wear a suit and tie. So some of it, there is variation, but like Chelsea was saying, shower that's that's a, a must you know you are around a lot of people in very close quarters uh, for much of it as well as just you know it's networking you you want to put on a good face or at least seem like you're putting an attempt into putting on a good face if you want to continue your career um that's kind of where i'm at yeah i definitely agree with you about the the cultural differences i've I've taught on the East Coast and mostly now uh, for many years on the West Coast. And for me, it was a relief to be, to move to the West Coast where you didn't have to turn up in some kind of really formal, expensive or whatever kind of flowing garment. Um, and it's this, I think that it's the same. You know, you have to, to think with a, a conference that it's it's multicultural you know there should it should be acceptable to wear many different kinds of standards of dress i personally have not i wear a, a skirt maybe once a year once or twice a year and the last thing i want to have to do in a conference would be to whether it's east coast or west coast or europe <laughs> yeah i never i don't turn up in some in a in a dress that's yeah. you know yeah. i but i will wear i perhaps won't won't wear my holy jeans just you know i'll wear some nice jeans but usually i'll wear some nice nice pants because i want to kind of I, you know look clean yes. and jeans tend to tend to not look that clean although they can there's nothing wrong with that but but the I think the clean you know to show that you you are hygienic and <laughs> have been washing is a really good point and that and that's the thing with the bare feet with the flip flops you yeah. know I'm not sure I really want to see people's weird feet in, terms, <laughs> yes. in a in a conference so yeah. so I think that's one of the things about the flip flop with how the Europeans feel about oh, yeah. flip flops I de I definitely but, did not agree on that now yeah. but it, it just kind of brought up that that little bit of a difference but I think professionalism means you know it means no more than wearing what you you feel you could you could give a talk or anywhere or talk to people if you if if you're wearing if you're wearing something outrageous for the sake of showing showing off something else about yourself exhibiting yourself maybe that you should think a little more about that but if you're wearing something that other people would think of as outrageous and you think of perfectly normal then you know you shouldn't i don't think you should it should be demanded that you wear you conform I think, yeah. com especially archaeologists, we aren't used to conforming yeah. to dress code. I mean, I've never, ever had to conform to dress code, or if I did, I didn't do it. <laughs> Except yeah. when singing in a chorus, then you have to, you're supposed yeah. to wear what other people wear. But, but we, you know, we're not all doing the same thing. We are all doing different things. So it shouldn't be expected that we all dress the same and I'm not quite sure what the person at the CAA was wearing, but you know, it's something. It, it I know myself. I, I thought, well, shall I bring my leggings? I've got these fantastic leggings. I really feel good in them. They're they're very warm, and I think they'd be perfect for Vancouver. And I did think twice about that because they're kind of you know very tight on the legs. And I thought, oh, I wonder if people would you know there would be a response reaction to that. And again, you know, maybe there would be because of my, you know, Fraulein professor doesn't wear <laughs> leggings, but, but I wouldn't care about that. But that's me. You know, there are people, some people really feel worried about others who aren't conforming. And that's their problem, I think, more than, more than ours. Exactly. So, Stevens. Uh, yeah, well, I have... Um, when this was going around Twitter, I made the joke that 
I'm the perfect person for this show because I wear clothes all the time. <laughs> Therefore, I am an expert in clothes. Yes. Um, and and, and uh, I think there's, I have like a mental model about, it's kind of like a mid-range theory of, of clothing, and, um, and clothing appropriateness in that, you know, it's, it's like a spectrum. And on one end you have, you know, it's, it's casual, and on the other end is more formal. And, and, like, most of what we wear in the field is workwear, which is yeah. pretty much as far, as far to the left, closer to the casual as you can possibly get while still wearing clothes. Um, although, you know, when you're dealing with clients, maybe you have to push a little bit more towards the formal side yeah. Yeah. of that yeah. block. Or covering up your body a bit more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wear a clean t-shirt, you know? <laughs> um, and, and then, you know, I mean, obviously, you can go way beyond what any archaeologist ever does with formal, um, you know, sort of being like Indiana Jones at a cocktail party or something. The bow tie. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. With, with the tuxedo, right? Please no. never wear bow ties. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, you know, so, like, you have, like, workwear, and you have active wear, which is essentially workwear, but casual, uh, or, you know, less... Uh, performance wear um, and then you have like streetwear which is you know still casual but kind of like everyday you know what you wear around and yeah. then, you know one step up right. from that you end up with like business casual and and, and up from that you have like business conservative or traditional business and, and then up from that you get, get like to like Evening formal and then like actual formal formal which nobody's worn since like nineteen eleven. <laughs> so um, and, and you know where conferences usually end up is somewhere in the business category spectrum. Yeah. Um, and, and for men's for men's clothing uh, for men's wear, it, it, you know like each of these you know categories are on the spectrum itself. So you know you can have like more casual business casual or more formal business casual like is, are you going to start dressing you know in your business casual and, and which is kind of what I what I do for conference is I'm wearing like a sport coat and a tie and, and you know an odd pair of trousers or something like that or you can be like more casual business casual where you're wearing a nice clean pair of dark jeans and, and like a, a polo shirt or something like that and, and I, I think that yeah, where we end up, you know, like uh, geographically, you know, there is like an overall. Every place has its own tradition of what cat, what constitutes the appropriateness, yeah. the appropriate level. Yeah. But then I think it also kind of falls down to us as the individual um, to you know determine like okay, you know, like there's a lot of different things that fall in these categories. How do I want? What do I want to? What do I want to wear? Yeah. And that, you know, okay, I, so the formality set, you know, the, the formality level of, of the SAAs is slightly to the dresser side of business casual. But, you know, if you actually want to go to traditional business because you're presenting and wear, actually wear a suit, knock stuff out. You know, nobody, nobody's going to care. Or vice versa, if you're not presenting, so, you know, maybe you're just wearing a nice pair of jeans or, you know, like a t shirt or something. Again, nobody's going to care. Um, because it's, it's close enough to, uh, on the spectrum. Um, likewise, you, know, you don't like ties, so you don't wear ties. So maybe you like bone ties. And, 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 you know, like, so, so you can do these things. And we see the individual, um, you know, to have a certain amount of flexibility in fitting into that particular formality level. Um, and and like, like we were saying, the beauty of archaeology is like, you know, we kind of do our own thing. We're all, we're all, we're all just, you know, a giant herd of cats. And, and there's a certain, like, if I had to wear a coat and tie, I'd probably hate it. But I don't have to. And, and frankly, it's kind of fun to take the piss out of all the people who refuse to wear a coat and ties. So, I could, I'd like to add something actually about this particular case because it was at the Computer Applications in Archaeology Conference, the CAA, and I think that that's very different. I mean, it's it, 
it has a lot of archaeologists in it, but they are gen- But many of them are not field archaeologists. They come from um, computer backgrounds, and of course we know that there's a whole kind of computer nerd uniform, which is what is it? It's like I don't know, just a shirt and I'd, people wearing really sloppy clothes. But in their conferences, the ones that I've been to, I've been to other ones like at Fast and VSMM, they tend to dress much more formally, um, like in, in sort of business, what you'd call, what you'd call in a business class, with um, maybe with suits. You see suits more. I'm looking here. I've never, I haven't even seen one suit in this hall as we're here in the exhibition hall. When you generally move in government circles or, com- or computer business type of circles, you're used to wearing a, a business and expect other people to be wearing a more business type of clothes. So it's possible that's where this 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 commentary came from. I don't know. I was I haven't seen the original tweets and so on. Potentially, and I, I will say this was something that I mentioned yesterday. I didn't say earlier, uh, and this is somewhat of like my own personal decision. Um, but you never want to be in in the bottom ten percent of. Um, casualness <laughs> basically anywhere <laughs> um, it's it is in my opinion better to be slightly overdressed than slightly underdressed because if you're overdressed people might look at you and say oh well you're trying really hard but how is that a bad thing um, whereas I mean I'm not talking about wearing a penguin suit and you know tails to a conference um, because trying way too hard. <laughs> yes that That's is trying way too hard yeah. but you know the, the bottom 10 percent um, is usually that's very hard to gauge when you're packing your clothes for a conference it, it is but you know bring a blazer and if wear a blazer the first day and if that puts you too yeah. formal take the blazer off um you know, yeah. you can yeah. mess around with it a bit, a little bit. But when you're trying to gauge what you should bring, I, I always try and aim a little bit higher than I maybe think the medium might be. Just because if I'm wrong, I'd, I'd rather be wrong on the upside than the downside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, when you say anywhere. There's always the exemption of when you're coming home from the field on the bus and you're the one person who looks like a homeless person because you're all muddy. What? Yes. <laughs> no, but you know, if, you, if you go out to dinner, like you don't want to show up at the cocktail restaurant and rip yeah. cheese. Yeah. 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 That that kind of. Yeah. That's always the challenge. So you you choose you you think about the context and you try and visualize the context and then you choose your wardrobe, but. What was she wearing again? It was a dress with a space unicorn on it. And, and I, what was wrong with that? I'm going to try and find it. And it wasn't anything that was... Like it didn't have a really, really short no, skirt. No, it wasn't overly revealing. It wasn't tight. It was. It just It had the space unicorn on it. And like that shows personality. I There was someone yesterday who was presenting in um, a like pencil skirt and blazer that matched... It was navy blue with lime green teapots all over it. And it was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Yes. Because it shows personality. Yes. And this is a person yeah. who loves Absolutely. tea. No, we're and talking. start conversations. I'm, I'm thinking, for me, out uh, maybe inappropriate would be. So we just pulled up the photo. We'll have to have this photo in the show notes for reference. Yeah. I, that's extraordinary that they were they thought that because of all the decoration that and the colorfulness of it, Mm-hmm. Uh, that that was inappropriate. Uh, that for me is is not that is not an appropriate comment. Yeah. You know, yeah. for me, inappropriate. Where would be if it? We talked we talked about um, not clean and ragged and so on that kind of thing. Or if it's also a, a kind of perhaps high fashion, but showing heart, you know a lot of skin. Yeah. You know, which would be dress fine dress for um, for the Academy Awards, <laughs> but not necessarily for present doing a presentation yeah. at a meeting. Those kinds of those kinds of things, I think. I think it's the the sort of bare feet, bare feet, and showing either men or women showing them half their bottoms. 
either way, you know, either side, <laughs> and so on. I think that's where I could imagine that people would be outraged. But to be outraged by colorfulness and individuality of, is not appropriate. And I think Steve, it was important that Stephen laid out the categories of kind of uh, increasing formality of dress from casual to formal, because those are like, they all have suggested guidelines for uh, what is appropriate to wear for different occasions. And like, you, you can Google these things. So like, I've had to do it myself. Like I was, the very first time I had to go meet with um, a government uh, agent, I was like, uh, my, I asked my boss, I was like, what do I wear? And he goes, wear business casual. And I was like, I don't know what that is. So I had to go Google that and like, I figured out what it was. And it's just like, it wasn't my field clothes. But it was funny because he called me as I was already out the door in my field clothes because earlier that day I was supposed to be in the field. He calls me as I'm walking down to my car and he goes, hey, change of plans, turn around, dress in business casual. You're going to rent a car, you're going to drive to St. Louis, and you're going to go meet with the U.S. Army Corps. I'm like, I, I don't know what half this means. Okay, I've, I've got to learn. So, yeah. you know, I mean, like, you can figure it out. You can, you can be appropriate. But uh, like Ruth had said, it's uh, the, the, the response to Penny Foreman's dress is just not appropriate. And so that highlights something that Chelsea, you and I were talking about yesterday. So, like, why do people get so bent out of shape over something like this and so we were talking about the the kinds of things like when you start policing somebody's body and when you start policing somebody's appearance like it it has nothing to do with their appearance uh, it is all about power and and dominance yep. and wanting to assert whatever position you think you have or or should have and it, it doesn't have anything to do with clothing. And I mean, I have had anecdotes where there are people that I have known who had seen me wear a particular thing in a particular situation on multiple occasions. And then I gave a presentation that maybe they didn't like. As I mentioned earlier, I am a unrepentant feminist, feminist archaeologist. Um, that rubs some people the wrong way. I'm okay with it. And all of a sudden, after I've given a presentation that they disagree with or they don't like, or I have said something in a conversation and people have listened to what I have said and it's not something they agree with, all of a sudden it's, oh, well, but I, I need to show that my I am more powerful than you are and my opinion is better than yours. And I mean, what, whatever it is, and it's, it's not about dress. And if you ever kind of feel yourself maybe wanting to do that you should maybe ask why it is you feel that way why why you're so insecure that you feel the need to, to do this because it doesn't have anything to do right. with a unicorn dress yeah that's that's fun and individual and perfectly fine yeah. it is about the person who's making the comments um and and something that they're dealing with but that doesn't make it any less appropriate or any less upsetting or any less harmful to have these kinds of comments be made. Yeah. I, I think what, what's interesting with this case, I mean, it's what's interesting about our discussion, I should say, is that as we get deeper into the specifics of the case, it actually becomes more interesting and you can really begin to see what's happening. So now we would want to know who is it exactly made that comment and and who was that person and had they and and had the wearer of the dress actually been making had had she actually been speaking making a presentation that was perhaps a little challenging and so you know thinking about this whole the, the power um, um, challenges that were going on could you actually see that in this case so as you get into the specifics, it begins to to even become very interesting. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, it's like as we're as we're introducing this topic and all that, you know, at first 
on the very surface, you think like, oh, why does it matter? Why do we need to talk about the the space unicorn things? Why why does it matter that we need to talk about this thing? So, like you had said, Ruth, the deeper in you go, the the more you realize this does matter. It needs to be talked about. We need to we need to start dismantling the notion of policing people's bodies. Yep. And it's not just like Chelsea. You and I had this conversation yesterday, and uh, it's unfortunate that. Have to redo this, <laughs> but you know, uh, yeah. So uh, uh, one of the points that I was particularly impacted by in our in our conversation was how it doesn't just matter for women to talk about dismantling the policing of women's bodies, because when you stop the policing of bodies then you start liberating men because men also deal with Mm -hmm. body image issues and you also start to dismantle the kind of hostilities that prevent safe spaces for trans people and that's I mean that's like a whole blind spot in a a lot of all of this where do trans people fit into this that's 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 a whole different can of words but you know that's that's just to highlight why this little thing is an important case and why why we're all gathered here chatting about this it's drawing attention to what is covering the body which is all what what kind of hairstyle the person has or and 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 making making um, some kind of inference from that to what their mind is like Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's really, it's rather than thinking about what they're saying or what they're writing, you're thinking about what do they look like, which gets into other kinds yeah. of other kinds of implications that will, you know, like race, gender, as well as gender, and Class. many yeah. other things, like disabilities. Right. You know, so it's 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 a it's. It's a symptom of something which should be should be remarked on to at the to the CAA tweet. I think we should tweet a lot of or we'll say it. I mean, it'll come across on here Definitely. that we really don't approve of this kind of commentary. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's something that I find. So I've I've heard a couple of things from men sometimes um, that I find somewhat interesting. Is the complaint that. Um, men's dress isn't as fun. Like, you can't do as much with it. There aren't as many options. It doesn't change as much through time as far as it's been, by and large, the same for the last 80 years. Steven's got a wonderful get-up here. My favorite is the bicycle tie. That's really fabulous. Shiny purple bicycle tie. We're all looking at Steve's (laughs) wonderful bicycle tie. Yes. So you can do fabulous things with the traditional men's dress, but the cuts are more or less the same through time. I'm sure you agree. Uh, more, more or less. I, I would say that there is fashion stuff. And, and, you know, like there, are, there are still trends and, and changes. And, you know, they still want to divide and, and that's season sorts of stuff, so they can change things. Yeah. Um, but I think the overall range of variation... Like the standard deviations are a lot smaller, right? Yes. You know, it, it, this isn't. This isn't. Yeah. So, like, I, if I go shopping with my wife, like, it's pretty easy for me to nail down, you know, what I what I particularly like and, and where I like to go because you know individual brands and stuff have, have their own particular look and feel. Yeah. Whereas for my wife, it, it gets. I mean, literally, she gets. She has to sit through like floors of stuff. Yes. At the department store, I get like you know, something about the size of this, you know, codify off, you know, <laughs> zone. Yeah. So, it, it, like, I, I think that yes, there's, there's there is in some ways less choice, but at the same time, you know, one, I think that makes it easier. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, like, you don't have to worry about. Against it, you don't have to worry about wearing the wrong thing, yeah, um, or, or worry less about it unless it's one time. He's going to think about that now, it's <laughs> <laughs> a, a good example, uh, but yeah, um, but as far as fun goes, I think you can do it. Um, on the other hand, I, I think that 
when it seems to be a common thing that when guys want to dress well, they they go to the garden. It, like, oh, like yeah. and, and, and it's just like, you know, um, I, I would almost, you know, I would almost feel the same way. Like, if somebody's wearing a sport coat that had the space unicorn on it, it'd be like, oh, <laughs> you know, like, which, which isn't the same thing as like, you know, that's not professional. You shouldn't be wearing it. But, you know, at the same time, it's like, no, no, really, like. But if they had a space unicorn tie, this um, it, it's not my scene. If you want, <laughs> if you want to rock space unicorn tie, but it would be more acceptable. I like to think of. Um, so part of my my point with that was just that it's much easier to stay within acceptable boundaries with men's dress whereas with women's dress it's very schematic so you have that the the same casual to formal spectrum but then within that you have a cross axis um, that runs sexuality to conservatism and that is another whole thing you can do and depending on the job, the people that you're going to be around, um, I've talked to some women who dress, uh, so say you are in CRM and you're meeting with possible clients. If they're a very conservative company, if you're going for like a construction crew, it tends to be much more conservative. Um, if you're working with the city, uh, then it tends to be, it's, it's a little more formal, but less conservative in that way. So there's, there's a, a lot more balancing. Um, there's also another end of like when women get more fashionable or it doesn't even have to be more sexualized. That is sometimes looked down upon as not being, uh, then, then you're dumbed down. You're thought to be less um, intellectual. It's, oh, well, she's wearing lipstick. She might not be that smart. Um, that yeah, that, and, and that's... That's a very different thing from like, no, that, that, that's the wrong tie to wear. That doesn't exactly. Have to be exactly. And, and and even so, like, if I don't like that tie, like, some dudes wearing a you know unicorn tie and somehow not pulling it off, um, you know, it's okay for me to be like, no, I don't think that person's wearing the right tie. In in a way that has nothing to do with. You would never go up to that person and say. You should yeah. be wearing a nicer, a more friend, appropriate tie. <laughs> I mean, if, if it was a friend, you know, I, I reserve the, you know, the, the right to like no, to, bring him um, a new tie. <laughs> we need to talk, you know, like, like um, but but, it, but it, that's that's in a friendly way, not in a like, you know, I, I'm not projecting my expectations, on, you know, in in that way, right? Yeah. It, um, it is very different when it's when it's a friend and it's I have a different style or a different perception of this and uh you know i'm, I'm trying to help you out rather than right. at a conference someone you've never you've got lettuce on your teeth but i wanted to, to touch on two things person said actually um one of which was if you get too fashionable you can be looked down on for being too fashionable and maybe that makes you less intelligent on the I don't even want to say flip side, like millimeter down the, the, the slide of that scale. You can also people, oh, like you're too dowdy. You don't care enough. Yeah. Um, so there's there's kind of a, a no win. And then going back to the um, group, like uh, sexual to conservative scale, some of that doesn't actually have anything to do with how you dress. This is particularly true for women who have big breasts. And it doesn't matter if they're wearing a turtleneck. Um, somebody is still going to say that they are too sexual, and I'm air quoting here, yeah. simply because of their genetics. And that's a whole other thing yeah. that you have to work around, debate, and think over. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's complicated. It's very complicated. <laughs> or, or conversely, somebody's you know, very overweight. You know, like... You know that that like you know because then you're getting into that person's appearance and not that yeah person's exactly fight. and that will be that will be against them right in many yeah. cases. And, and, that's, and that's not that's not a choice right in, in the way that you know poor ties flexible you know like yeah you know you, you choose what tie you want to buy you choose what tie you want to wear that particular day 
Um, no, I mean, maybe all the other ones are coming from us. But no, in general, drink heavily and choose. Um, and, you know, but you, you don't necessarily choose how you're shaped. And, and you can, you know, given any given shape you are, where, what you feel is appropriate rather than. Uh, yeah. 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 Just be you. Yeah, that, and the main thing is that you should feel comfortable in your body and in your clothes and that nobody has the right to say, take that away yeah, from you. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Nice. Well, I think that's a great point to end it on. Uh, not the one that, that John just made. I see you started drinking heavily already. I don't think you catch that. On the air, like, something like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Normally, we do put, like, an iPad on the, the on-air yeah. side. Yeah. But, no, we're not heavily drinking uh, alcohol. We're heavily drinking, drinking water, water right now yeah. because we're... Totally worn out from this conference. It's been a blast. Yes, yeah, yeah. isn't it? It's yeah. really great. Really Thank fun. you all for lovely to meet you all. Yeah, yeah you as well. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Thank you all so much for this. Thanks for listening to the Go to Go Hole podcast. If you enjoyed this show, please consider uh, supporting it on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com forward slash go dig a hole. Uh, all of your contributions are incredibly appreciated and uh, I've already been able to do a lot of amazing things with your support so thanks again and please uh, share this with any of your friends colleagues classmates students teachers whatever uh, you can also find me online I'm very online uh, the blog is go dig a hole.com uh, you can find me on all the social media platforms at go dig a hole